1 Kings chapter 17 is where we will start. Uh, I'll explain that in a moment, but we are finishing a series today. This is the last message in a series called Find the Melody. And what we've kind of made the case for is that if you look just at, at like, what is God's character? What, what is he up to? What has he been doing since, you know, Genesis 1 and in the lives of, you know, friends that we have? Anytime you look at the things that God is doing, there's these predictable notes that kind of keep, he, he keeps hitting, um, that he loves you and he loves his creation, that he will pursue you, but he also will challenge you and convict you of sin. Uh, he, will, he will lead you into holiness. If, if you follow along with the Lord long enough, you start to hear the same melody, kind of hit the same notes over and over again. And what we've looked at is, you know, in you know, music, I'm not a musician, I'm a terrible musician. In fact, there was a spot where Aaron was singing just a moment ago, and he stepped away from the mic. He's like, you guys sing. And I was like, great. And I belted it out, and I, was, I, I had to stop. Like, I sounded terrible because I'm not a musician. I thought I, I sound a lot better when Aaron's singing than when he's not. But uh, I'm not a musician. I just find this to be true is that um, music is very basic. It's just a few notes here and there that it's the, it's the talent of the musician to know when to play the notes at the right rhythm in the right order and emphasizing the right notes. Knowing when not to play the notes is another thing, just like getting your hands off the keyboard and just letting the room feel the presence of that. And this is we, what we've seen is like, if you take this metaphor, is like as the Lord has worked through creation, he's worked in your life, um, there's just been this steady rhythm of things that the Lord is trying to get your attention on. And we've been trying to find the melody because I believe that living in peace or living in harmony, to use the music musician term, uh, is going to be found in, in learning the melody and playing your part, the part that you've been called to do. And so as we've kind of processed this for the last seven weeks, we, we've just looked at different seasons of life and we've seen that there's a different season for everything. There's a season for joy and a season for sorrow. There's a season for laughing and dancing, a season for grieving and mourning. There's a season season to build up, a season to tear down. There's a season for everything. And knowing where the Lord is in those seasons is going to be where you find the most peace. Uh, where we find discontentment in life tends to be when we remember the last season, the season that we were in before, and we use all of our efforts today to try to get back to that old season. I want to I want to be like I was five years ago. I want to get back to the way I was before COVID. I want to get back to the way I was before I met him or before I met her. And there is no joy in trying to get back to the season that was lost. The only joy, the only harmony we will find is in following the Lord into the next phase, into the next season. So we've looked at different seasons. Um, we looked at uh, parenting and empty nesting as a church. It's like these are two predictable seasons that many people go through. How can you honor the Lord in different seasons of parenting? Parenting little kids and diapers, parenting adult kids as they you know uh, move away, parenting teenagers who know everything more than you do. Uh, what about empty nesting and uh, uh, the season before having children, that season of infertility, that those are predictable seasons and the Lord is there. What, what we found is that in all of those seasons and all the seasons that we've mentioned through the series, it is possible to worship God, to grow in the Lord, to find joy and to live in harmony or to live in peace with what he's doing. You have not faced the season of life where that is not possible. It may be that we're kind of blind to it or we haven't learned that, or many of us, we don't have an example of how to follow the Lord in this season because 
we don't talk about some of the hard seasons as a church, we would be wise in maybe a small group setting to bring some of our hard seasons to the table and say, this is what I'm going through right now, or this is what I went through five years ago, because there's a brother or sister who needs to know an example of how to worship the Lord through that. So we've looked at parenting, we looked at empty nesting, we looked at marriage, we looked at singleness. Uh, our friend Wacy, he, he brought last week's message, he looked at kind of career mode and then beyond career mode, legacy and, and retirement. And, 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 and so what I want to do today is uh, I just want to cover maybe every other season, if I could. I just In one message, I'm going to cover every season of life you've ever been in or will ever be in. Nothing ambitious here. Um, what, what about all those moments where you don't know what to do? What, what about all those moments in life where it just seems like there's nothing to do? You used to know what to do, and you used to have the confidence to like step out and, and encourage, say this, do this, to love these people this way, but you're in this window of time where it's just like, I just don't know anymore. I want to, I want to look at a season like that. We're going to look in First Kings uh, to, to do that. A moment ago, Gabby was, was playing the keys, and she knew when to hit those notes. And you know those moments in the song where the words are on the screen, and you know when to say them, and then, and then they go into like an instrumental, and you think that it's the next verse, and you start talking right then, and you sing, and you're about a half a word or a whole word into the next verse, and you realize you're the only one singing? What do you do? I just did it. I know what I did. What do you do when you, when that happens? You you kind of look around. You make sure nobody's looking at you, and you just you get quiet. And you're like, yeah, bridge. Okay, bridge, bridge. And you're like you're just kind of floating with the instrumentals. There are seasons in your life where the words were on the screen, the verse before, and you knew exactly what to say and exactly what to do. There are also seasons in your life there's nothing for you to say or do, but let the song play. And and. You would make a mistake as a musician if you're like, you know, I'm ready to get to verse four right now. And it's like, no, like the bridge has a, like, I don't know what it does. Uh, maybe a musician can tell me like, what is the emotional connectedness of the bridge? And it kind of draws the soul in a way. But if you rush to the end of the song because it's your favorite part and you miss all of that buildup, all of that instrumentation, all of that, you miss something in the song. Uh, let me, let me drop the musical metaphor and just say it this way. There are seasons in your life where there's nothing for you to say and do. And if you try to rush to the next chapter, you miss what all of that buildup was meant to do for you. You miss all that time for other people to get on the same page. You miss, you miss that time that the Lord was working over there. And the thing about the Lord is that he's really stubborn and more than a musician. The, the Lord's going to get his way. It's, he's going to get to the next chapter when the next chapter's time is coming. You're sprinting to that chapter. You're going to get there and you're just going to end up waiting for him anyway. Slow down. There are times to slow down. So I want to look at that together. Uh, we're going to be in 1 Kings chapter 17. We're going to meet a man named Elijah. Elijah is a powerhouse of a character in the Bible. He actually, in, in terms of like how much screen time he gets, it's not a lot. I mean, there are other characters who get a David, for example, gets a ton more screen time in the Bible than Elijah. But Elijah is by far held in the Old Testament and the New Testament as this powerhouse of God. Um, he is mentioned in, in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. His name, Elijah, means my God is Yahweh. What a, what a great name. Like There's no amb ambiguousness about this. He knows who his God is. Uh, Elijah shows up on the scene in the 8th, 9th century BC during a time when Israel was a little bit confused about who their God was. And so uh, just to recap very briefly or to set this up, if, if you don't know, uh, the nation of Israel was one kingdom under Saul, 
one kingdom under David and one kingdom under Solomon. But then after Solomon's sons kind of take over, the kingdom splits into a north and south kingdom. Okay, Elijah lived in the north. He's about a generation or two after the kingdom split. And they can't figure out which God they're going to follow. Some people want to continue following Yahweh, which is probably why his parents named him Elijah. My God is Yahweh. There's no question. He can't follow any other God. His name wouldn't even make sense at that point. Uh, the rest of the nation wanted to follow gods like Baal or uh, there's another one. Uh, it's escaping me right now, like Ashtaroth or something like that. And, and those gods are the gods over like, um, like rain and water and uh, storms. They're the storm gods, they, they might say. Baal has like some origin story where he, like, he fights the storm god and he conquers him. And now he controls the rains and he controls like when the crops are, are growing. Um, if, if, if we lived in those times and we just went through the drought that we're currently in right now, you would have your friends be like, hey, have you guys tried worshiping Baal lately? Maybe that's the problem because he's the one who brings the rain. You, you understand? And so uh, Elijah, when he gets on the scene, he's dealing with these people who follow this false god, and, and he just stands up for God. He's fearless. He is strong. He is courageous. There, there is nothing in the Bible that shows like a moral failure of Elijah. He knows when to speak up, and he is not scared to speak up to a crowd of people. We'll look at that in a moment. And yet, this man who, his, his, his goodness is so all over the Bible. Like he, he, the Bible says that he doesn't even die. Elijah's one of the few people in Scripture. He's just like, the Lord's ready to get him, sends down some chariots, picks him up, takes him to heaven. Like He just never died. He never had a funeral. Um, if you are familiar with the New Testament, there's a scene where, where Jesus grabs two of his disciples and they go up on this mount. Uh, in your Bible, it's probably called the Mount of Transfiguration. Jesus takes Peter and John. They go on a mountain, and Peter and John are like, I don't know what we're doing up here. Jesus is like, i got to have an appointment. I'm meeting some people up on this mountain. He gets on this mountain, and Jesus is, Scripture says that Jesus has a conversation with Moses and Elijah while Peter and John are watching this happen. So Elijah gets like a, a front row seat with, with Jesus. And I just want to look at this man. Uh, I'm going to do a flyby on the beginning of Elijah for you to understand how confident and how strong of a, a, a man of character he is. Because whenever I get to the part where he's depressed and he's asking God to kill him, when he doesn't know what to do and he's tired of living, it, it should jump off the page. Like, how did he get to that Place. If you've ever wrestled with mental illness, if you've ever wrestled with depression, if you've ever wrestled with, I don't know what comes next, Elijah is your guy because he is a godly man, and yet he deals with this as well. First uh, Kings chapter 17 begins this way. Uh, this is how we meet Elijah. Now, Elijah, the Tishbite of Tishbe, uh, what, what great words these are, Tishbite of Tishbe, in Gilead said to Ahab, real quick, Ahab is the evil king of the north right now. He's just a, he's kind of a pushover. Uh, he doesn't lead his people. His wife wants to follow other gods, and he just like doesn't stand up to his wife or tell her, no, my kingdom doesn't do that. And so he's, he's, considered a bad guy. Uh, he says to Ahab, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives before whom I stand, there shall be near, neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. And the word of the Lord came to him, depart from here and turn eastward and hide yourself by the brook of Cherith, which is east of the Jordan. You shall drink from the brook and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. Elijah, he shows up on the scene, goes to the evil king of the north and says, hey, listen, it's not going to rain. 
like for until I say. It's not going to rain until I come back and say that it can rain ever again. There's not going to be a drop of rain. There's not going to be any dew on the ground. Let me know how this works. Now, the reason why this is very important is because the God that Ahab has been worshiping is supposed to be over the rains. He's supposed to control these things. And Elijah's just like, you know what God told me? Until I say so, it's not going to rain ever again. And so they go into a drought that lasts for many years. Um, as I was preparing for this message, uh, I almost taught this message uh, a, a month ago, uh, just as I was working on this series. It, it made sense to do it a month ago, and then I saved it for the end. We weren't quite all the way in the drought as we are right now. Um, I have huge dead patches uh, in my yard right now because I, I refuse to pay money to water my yard. My doors are sticking. We've had a drought for how long now? What's it been? A month? Five weeks? Two months? Six years, it feels like it. Uh, it, it just, it, it feels like we have six years worth of drought right now. Um, I'm complaining about it. Many of you are complaining about it. I've bought water hoses to wrap around my house and to, I have to water my house now <laughs> to keep the doors from, uh, and still like the doors don't lock properly. I'm complaining about one month of a drought. Okay. And you are too. Like many of you are like, yeah, my, my, my garden is dying. I need some help. Uh, if you're a farmer and you're, if you're in agriculture, these pains are just laughable compared to the fact that your, your, your money is on the line, the way you provide for your family. That's one month of a drought. Um, they're about to go into a three plus year drought of zero drops of rain in the entire country. It is going to get rough. We're not talking doors sticking. We're talking mutiny. We're talking people crying. We're talking families struggling. And, and Elijah is just like, he just names it. He, he feels confident. He can go to the king and just say, Hey, here's, here's what is about to happen. I'll see you in a minute. Um, fast forward to chapter 18. I want to look at one more thing. Two more things. Uh, chapter 18, uh, verse 17. Uh, Elijah's been gone for three years now, three, three and a half years now. And so he shows back up after all this time. And he says in verse 17, when Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, is it you, you troubler of Israel? Like he's really ticked off now because when he said it, when Elijah said, Hey, there's not going to be rain for three days. He's like, oh man, my God's got this. I've got the God of rain on my side, but it didn't rain for three years. And so now he's like, Hey, you troubler of Israel. If you ever do something for God and then you get blamed for it, like you, you, you troubler of this workplace, how dare you say we shouldn't steal from people? How dare you say we should treat people with respect? You're the troubler. Um, that's what Ahab is saying to him. Verse 18. And he, uh, answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you have in your father's house because you have abandoned the commandments of the Lord and followed the Baals. Now, therefore, send and and gather all Israel to me at Mount Carmel and the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. Hey, you troubler of Israel, you're the problem here. And Elijah, he looks at the king. He says, I'm not the, I'm not the problem. You're the problem. Uh, why don't you gather all the prophets you can meet me at Mount Carmel? And they have this, this throwdown. You should probably, I'm not actually going to teach all of chapter 18. It's a really great throwdown. This should be in a movie if it's not already. Let me just give you the highlights real quick. It's one follower of God, Elijah, and then it's like 850 followers of other gods. They show up on this mountain and then the crowds comes like, oh, let's see which God is going to win. Let's see, let's see how this is going to go down. Um, and then, and then you have, uh, Elijah saying, "Hey, listen, we're gonna. I'm gonna put my altar together. You put your altar together. You guys go first. Um, have your God call down fire on this. Now, uh, in a burn band right now. I don't. Did you guys see the smoke yesterday? 
It, it was thick outside. So I don't know what happened. There's a marsh fire in Louisiana or something like that. When, when he's talking about fire in a three-year drought, everybody's ears should be perking up like, oh, hold on just a second. You're going to burn down the country doing that. He says, listen, no, none of us are going to set the fire. Just call down fire from your God and let him do that. And so he lets the other prophets go first. And they're dancing, they're cutting themselves. You gotta love Elijah's courage and his confidence because he's like, hey, listen, maybe your God's asleep or something. Maybe get a little bit louder, wake him up. And so they get a little bit louder. He's like, oh, you know what? I bet your God went to the bathroom. Maybe just give him a minute. He'll be done here any minute now. It's in the Bible. Read it. Uh, maybe, maybe your God is tired. Maybe you're, and after hours of this happening, he just puts his altar together and goes, you ready? You guys ready? Oh, God. Here we are. <laughs> Just like it burns the whole thing down. There's no dancing. There's nothing. Uh, and he tells the people, he's like, choose today which God you're going to follow based on this. Elijah's confidence that his God was going to come through is unmatched by anybody else. You follow this? Now, many of you, you've been following the Lord for a minute, and you can remember seasons of life where you had the utmost confidence in God. It wasn't a question. Your faith was unshakable. And yet you may admit quietly to yourself or to close friends, I'm, I'm wavering, kind of quivering right now. I don't know how God's going to come through on this next thing. You're like, but you're the guy who had like fire called down. It's like, I know, but... I'm a little nervous right now if I had to be honest with you. Look what happens. Uh, after all of this, Elijah goes and slaughters the people, and then, and then he finds out that someone wants to kill him for what he did. This is what I really want to teach today. Chapter 19, verse 1. Read this with me. Ahab, remember that's the bad king, told Jezebel, that's his wife. You ever heard somebody called, oh, that old Jezebel? Uh, it comes from this woman right here. It's always good to have your name mean something. <laughs> Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. And then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So may the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. She says, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to kill you tomorrow. Uh, and if it doesn't happen, then I, may I be struck down by my gods. And I don't know about you, but everything I just said about Elijah should tell me that when he gets a threat like that, he would be like, bring it, woman. Like, what are you going to do to me? I've got God on my side. And yet this prophet of God who has no flaw mention of him goes into a deep, dark place that doesn't make any sense. He says in verse 3, Then he was afraid, and he arose, and he ran for his life. He came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and he left his servant there. What, uh, for the sake of teaching this quickly, Judah is the southern kingdom. And so he just leaves the jurisdiction of Jezebel and Ahab. It's like, hey, get out of here. I don't, I don't even know what to do. And he just runs away, and he leaves his people behind. Verse 4, but he himself, he went a day's journey into the wilderness, and he came and sat under a broom tree. I didn't know what a broom tree was, and so I looked it up. Turns out, just factually, it's a short little shrub. You know, it's a little bit taller than me, maybe as tall as the top of that wood right there. And it, it, it's got a trunk, and then it just fans way, way out. It lives in the desert. Um, what it is isn't as important as what it means when it's mentioned in Scripture. Is It turns out that every time a broom tree is mentioned in Scripture, someone is depressed, someone is scared that their life is about to end, or they want their life to end. Uh, and so when, when we read this, if we knew all of that, if we've been reading the Old Testament, as well as Elijah and others would have, we would hear that he went and sat under a broom tree, and we're like, oh, brother, don't, don't do it. The, get out of there as fast as you can. He goes, and he sits under this broom tree, and he asks that he might die, saying, it is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, 
for I'm no better than my father's. It's just like, I can't win. Everything I do, it just doesn't seem to amount for anything. God, I'm ready for it all to be over. And he lays down and he sleeps under a broom tree. And it says, and behold, an angel touched him and said to him, uh, what, do you, what do you think an angel would say to the prophet of God, Elijah, in that moment? Like in, in my mind, if I'm writing the movie for this, in my mind, the angel like gets him up and is like, hey, man, remember who your God is and like zaps him with some angel juice and it's like, hey, you know, like power up and you can be a superhero again, you know, like you, you just kind of think like you're a man of God, like get charged back up. What's wrong with you? The angel never looks at Elijah and says, hey, what's wrong with you, man? The angel never looks at Elijah and says, you lost your faith, you pitiful little wimp. He never corrects him. What does the angel do? The angel touched him and said, hey, wake up. And he wakes up and says, arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake. <laughs> a cake is going to help him here. A cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate, and he drank, and he lay down again. Listen to me real quick. Sometimes when you're going through junk... And you're like, I need some of that angel power to like charge me up. Sometimes you need a nap and a snack. Sometimes go get a cake. Your blood sugar's a little low. We, we, we get into these phases where we're like, I am strong enough. I don't need to eat anymore. I, I, can, I don't need to sleep anymore. And I'm telling you, your physical body and your spiritual soul are not as separated as you would like to think. And sometimes when we're spiritually down, we need to be physically resuscitated. The angel wakes him up. It's like, get up, man. Here's a cake. Here's a bottle of water. Enjoy. Take another nap. So he lays back down. Verse 7, it says, And the angel of the Lord came again a second time. You, you love that. Like, he let him sleep for a while. I wonder how long he slept. Ten hours? You know, like, you, you got to catch up, Elijah. He let him sleep for a while. And it says, the angel came again a second time and touched him. Wake up. And he said, Arise. And eat, for the journey is too great for you. He says, hey, it's time for you to eat some more, because what God's about to tell you to do, it's more than you can handle right now. You're not, you're not in a position, Elijah, right now, to do what God is about to ask you to do. So wake up, eat some more, maybe take another nap, because God's about to call you to do something. See, as Elijah went into this dark season of the soul, he kind of lost track of like his orders, like what the mission was, what the Lord was going to call him to do next. It's like, it's, I, t- I got nothing. Take a nap. Eat. Take a nap again. Eat some more. You're not ready yet, but you're about to go on something really hard. Eat something. And so he does, verse 8, and he arose and he ate and drank, and he went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the Mount of God. Again, um, Horeb, if, if you're familiar with the Old Testament, Horeb is like, that, what would that be the same? If I said, and then he marched to Washington, D.C., you're like, oh, yeah, he's about to do something political. You know, like he's about to, if, if I said, and then he marched to Hollywood, California, you're like, oh, he's doing something in the entertainment industry. There are places that we, our mind just knows what's about to happen. If you're going to march to Mount Horeb, the Mount of God, you know something big is about to happen. This is where Moses split the rock and water came out. This is where Moses talked to the Lord face to face. Like things happen at Mount Horeb. And so if, if you're a Jew and you know your Old Testament, you're like, holy cow, he went to Mount Horeb. That'd be like being invited into the White House, into the Oval Office. Um, it, it is a big deal. It's far more than that. I, I don't think that highly of any of our politicians. Verse 9. Uh, I'm not going to go there. Verse 9. There uh, at Mount Horeb, uh, he comes to this cave and he lodged in it. And behold, 
the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Something funny is about to happen in Scripture that I'm not going to go into. This would be more like a really long Bible study, but we're about to see like there's Yahweh God, and then there's the Word of God, and they're, they're, there's like three people in the story. Elijah, the Word of God, and Yahweh shows up in the story. But the Word of God shows up to Elijah and says, why are you here? What are you doing here? Which is really funny because what did the angel do? The angel told him to, to go there. I don't think the word of God is confused. Elijah, why are you here? That's so weird. Like, I didn't expect to see you. I think it's more like, Elijah, do you even know why you're here? Because sometimes, you know, obeying the Lord, if you're, if, if you're a, a, a follower of Jesus and you're, you're just trying to put one foot in front of another and you're trying to follow the Lord, sometimes following the Lord, you know, like the next step and the next step, sometimes it is confusing. It's like, trust me, do what I say. And then you get there and, and he's like, why are you here? And you're going to have to come up with a reason. Says, why are you here, Elijah? And so Elijah says to him, I have been very jealous for the Lord. Um, if you're reading in your Bible, you notice that it's the Lord with all caps. And so if you'll allow me, I'll translate that because when it's in all caps like that, it's actually the word Yahweh. Uh, and so he's saying, I've been very jealous for Yahweh, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only am left and they seek my life to take it away. He, he looks at the word of God and he says, I'm the only one here doing anything for you, man. Every, every, all my brothers, all my sisters, there is nobody following Yahweh except me. I've pushed them down. I've, I've knocked over their altars. I've done amazing things for them, but it's nothing. It is meaningless. It is pointless. Have you ever tried to do things to honor God and just felt like it's not doing any good at all? All these other people around me, they seem to have all this peace doing all these corrupt things, and I only I am left doing the holy things. And what's the point anymore? That's the mode of Elijah right now. And he's talking to the word of the Lord, which I'll just go ahead and tell you, I just think he's talking to Jesus right there. There's only one person in the Bible who is identified as the word of the Lord. John 1.14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. He's talking to Jesus and Yahweh shows up at the same time. This is wild stuff, man. You get this audience with the Lord and he's just like, he's having a pity party. He's just, all I'm doing doesn't do any good. And so, uh, where did I leave off? Verse uh, 11. And he said, uh, this is the word of the God, said, go out and stand on the mount before Yahweh. Like, go bring your complaint to, to the big guy. Go, go stand out there uh, in this cave. And behold, it says the Lord, it says Yahweh passed by and a great strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? Same, same question. Go out there and tell Yahweh your complaint. And he goes out and it says that Yahweh, the Lord, passes by. There are a couple of times in Scripture where something like that happens. When it happens to Moses, he can't even look at him lest he die. Uh, but because he saw like the back of Yahweh's head, Moses' face glowed for like two months. It freaked everybody out. You have this radioactive man coming off the mountain with a glowy face. You think, that's a weird mountain. <laughs> you know, the weird things are happening. Uh, 
when Elijah is standing in this crack, he, he's going to see the Lord walk by. And what, what, what are all the things you have? Uh, there's a wind that tore through the mountains. When a nice cool breeze blows through, it doesn't freak me out. But have you, have you ever heard the rain that sounds like a train about to knock your house down? And like your roof is kind of like breathing a little bit. Uh, I've sat through a couple of hurricanes in the last few years. They like, my house looked like it, it was alive, like it was just going to implode or something. This is a scary wind. Like when is that going to, wind going to stop? I have a, I have a video of me standing in my kitchen as I don't know which hurricane this was, is hitting a tree in my front yard and the tree starts rocking, like it's dancing to us song. We're like, oh, that's not good. Which way is it going to go? And it falls away from the house into the power lines and like rips up the sidewalk. I have it on video. That's a scary wind. And it says that this wind tore through the mountains, broke the rocks, and Elijah said, uh, uh, but the Lord wasn't in the wind. What, what, came, what came next? Is, the, is it the earthquake? Yeah. And then an earthquake uh, comes and uh, shakes the, the ground. Uh, earthquakes are probably pretty scary if you're on flat ground. If you're in a cave, I think they're extra scary. <laughs> like you're in a cave, you're surrounded by all the things that are going to fall on you and kill you. What if this mountain falls on you in the middle of this earthquake? That, that may happen. And so this happens and it kind of shakes them. Uh, that should be pretty scary. But the Lord wasn't in it. What about the fire? Uh, I, I'm generally not afraid of fire, but I'll be honest with you. Some of the videos I've seen in the last few weeks of like fires ripping through Jasper and ripping through Louisiana, ripping through Hawaii, uh, it's like, it's just like immediate engulfation consumption fire. Like it, something looks at a thing and it just completely is gone all of a sudden. That is terrifying to me. And to see all the people crying and all the people afraid. And, and you would think in this big moment, the Lord was in it, but scripture says the Lord wasn't in it. After the wind after the earthquake and after the fire, it's the still, quiet voice. When Elijah hears the whisper of God, he knows that that's him. He knows that that is Yahweh. He covers his face and he goes out there. And then Yahweh asks him the same question that the word of God asked him. What are you doing here, Elijah? And he brings the same complaint to him. Uh, I'll, be, I'll be quick. He says, Verse 14, he said, I've been very jealous for the Lord. Uh, I've been very jealous for Yahweh. I've been very jealous for you, he might, he might have said. The, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only am left, and they seek me to take it away. He, he has the speech in his head. How, how is it that Elijah gets word for word the same speech after all those nervous things? Well, it turns out that, especially if you're depressed and you're sitting under a broom tree for a while, that that phrase that you keep repeating to yourself, it kind of locks in. If you don't stop that cycle, it repeats itself until it locks in. This phrase is repeated in his head so well that he's repeated it to the word of God. And then after the earthquake and everything, he word for word gets the exact same phrase out. And it says in verse 15, and the Lord said to him, go return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael to be king over Syria which is a wild moment, just real quick. Syria doesn't care about Yahweh. They're not followers of God. There's nothing in scripture that says, oh, they're following God. The Lord of Israel just told Elijah, okay, listen, I, I hear you. Uh, I've got a job for you. Go anoint this foreign king. I got, I got stuff for him to do. And Jehu, the son of Nemishi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel. Go anoint that guy. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat of Abel, Mahola. Uh, every time I read this silently in my head, I just skip those words, and now I'm having to say them out loud. Shaphat of Abel, Mahola, uh, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. Go find your replacement. I want you to invest in somebody. 
And verse 17, and the one who escapes from the sword of Hazel shall Jehu put to death. There's going to be some stuff, there's some political stuff. And the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. Like your boy Elisha, he's going to do some stuff. Yet, verse 18, I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. And then we move on. Like if you keep reading scripture, and you should, you should study Elisha some more. He just moves on to Elisha. The Elijah goes to Elisha and like he just continues following the Lord. There's this brief moment where depression and sadness almost overtake Elijah and he's ready for it all to be over. And when he gets an audience with God, he lets him know like, this is what's bothering me. And the Lord just gives him the next mission, the next steps. He doesn't know this, but that boy Elisha that he's about to go meet with, um, that's going to be someone who, who restores his faith in like, oh, there are people who follow God. He doesn't know this, but what God just promised him is that, no, you're not by yourself, Elijah. The fact that you think you're by yourself is what's causing you to think that you're alone. But there are 7,000 other people. They, they still call on my name. Continue doing my work. See, Elijah didn't know what to do. Many times you're in a position where you're like, I'm in a place, I don't know what to do. Maybe you're in that position now. Here's what I want you to meditate on this week. When you don't know what you're supposed to do, go to the one you know to go to. It's helpful that it rhymes. (laughs) It locks it in. When you don't know what to do, go to the one you know to go to. You're not supposed to have the answers to everything. Listen, Christian, you're not. The world isn't dependent upon you. Uh, the universe isn't needing your input on all the things. Sometimes you don't need to respond to your boss or your coworker. Sometimes you just need to sit there and be quiet. Uh, there's actually a word for knowing when to keep your mouth shut and knowing when not to do something. Uh, it's an old word. I didn't know this uh, until, until someone taught it to me, but it's this word discretion. Discretion means something different in modern English, but uh, in the in the fourth century, there's a, a monk named John Cassian. He's writing about this. Uh, in the fourth century, if you know your history at all, uh, 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 Constantine has just ruled that Christianity is the official religion of all of Rome. And then some weird things happen in Christianity. It gets real like soft. Like people were really sure about things that they used to not be sure of, and everybody kind of had an idea about what God wanted. And there, what ends up happening after Constantine does this is that People who are followers of God, who they're like, I got to get away from some people. And they go and become like monks somewhere. And John Cassian was one of them. Here's what he says about discretion. He says, discretion is the ability to wait to see what unfolds and not act. It involves the humility and patience to discern when to leave things alone, knowing when our interference will only complicate things. Just like in that song, when the bridge is happening, sometimes you don't have to do anything. And discretion, being confident in your Lord, is knowing when there's nothing for you to do. In fact, it's knowing when doing anything gets in the way. And you can sit, and you can let the Lord accomplish what he's going to accomplish. Isaiah chapter 40, I'm going to close with this. Um, says this, verse 30, says, even youths shall fail, or excuse me, even youths shall faint and be weary, and young man, young men shall be exhausted, shall fall exhausted. Uh, maybe you find yourself like, I used to be strong, but now I'm weak. I used to know what to do, but I'm, I'm fainting now. I'm falling apart. Here's, here's how he ends verse 31. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. 
If you're crawling up under your broom tree, you're exhausted, and you don't know what's coming next, and you feel like you're the only one left in your little circle that's following God, and you're just like, when's he going to do a thing? Maybe, maybe there's nothing for you to do but wait. I'll be honest with you. There's a strength that waiting requires that is stronger than anything you can do. Weaker men try to work with their hands when it's time to wait. The strong men and women of faith who, who have confidence in their Lord know it. I've got to wait. I've got to take the hits that waiting is going to cause. I'm just going to wait on the Lord to do his thing. So again, just to close with this and meditate on is when you don't know what you're supposed to do, go to the one you know to go to. Go to your Lord. Run to him. He's your rescue. Let me pray. Father, you are... You're, you're sovereign. You know the end from the beginning. Whatever season of life we're in now or we're about to face, you already knew it. You ordained it. You, you're not surprised by any of it. Um, Lord, give us the courage to run to you. Uh, give us the courage to wait when it's time to wait. Give us the clarity to know that this is the time to wait. I pray, Father, for these men and women that when it's time to act, you give them the courage. You give them the Elijah courage to speak up, to, to stand up to authority and to, 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 to do actions that are beyond their capability. But when it's time to wait, Father, I pray for the clarity uh, to know to do so and the courage to just sit and wait and listen as you accomplish what you're going to accomplish. May we be people that are wise in our actions um, and look like Jesus, uh, who, who just calmly had faith that you were going to work things out. I pray a blessing over the men and women here that um, knowing when to wait would create peace in their life and would create um, uh, uh, a sense of, uh, of comfort and, and higher faith. We love you. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.